0: advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Sarah McElroy is a journalist and the founder of Raise to Rise, an organization aimed at amplifying the powerful voices of women from the great resignation. She is a former CMO, and in her words, hustle culture devotee. When her sometimes 20-hour-a-day job during the pandemic resulted in multiple health scares and burnout, she decided to reset her life. And in doing that, she became the Wall Street Journal's poster girl for the Great Resignation. This is when she returned to her journalism roots and began to explore the stories, breaking points, and defining moments that led women to seek greater opportunity mid-pandemic. These conversations are what became the genesis of Raise to Rise. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much, Emily. Great to be here. You have so much to share with us because not only have you lived this experience yourself, and we want to learn all about your own history and what happened to you and about this poster girl thing with the Wall Street Journal, but you've also used your journalism career um, to interview, I think, 125 or probably more women about their experiences. So you have a lot to share with us about that as well. Why don't we start with just, I guess, let's start at the beginning. Um, What did you you originally study? Were you a journalism major? I
1: was, yes. I loved journalism and storytelling, and I've always been fascinated with the human experience and the ability of our personal stories to connect us more deeply with each other. So yeah. that's always been a love of mine. But right after college, I ended up getting some internships in public relations and ended up finding myself more in a career around marketing. But I've always had this love for journalism and have been really thrilled to return to my journalism roots with Race to Rise.
0: And what type of company were you working as a, so CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, right? So what, what type of company was that that you were working? Yes, that was a
1: private equity-backed med spa concept that was scaling nationally. And I was I was working as a CMO. I was also juggling an executive MBA program at the time, which was resulting in that 20 hours a day to keep all of those plates spinning. And then after that, the job that I got to come down to Florida and reset from that C-suite job that was just so demanding was a director of digital strategy.
0: Okay. So, but you, after college, you got into the marketing route and that's when you were working, um, as in the, as a CMO, um, did you do, how long did you do that for? How many 10 years?
1: months. And that yeah. was, you know, that was one of those things that was like, I was that corporate good girl of, like, I will follow all the rules that you tell mm-hmm. me I have to do for my career. I will climb the ladder. I will chase the fancier titles, you know, go after those bigger paychecks, and I will do everything, including, like, you have to have that that kind of that rule of thumb that says you have to be in a job for at least a year. Otherwise, it's a black stain on your resume. I certainly subscribed to that <laughs> uh, Mm -hmm. approach for a very long time, but this situation, this job, this culture, the overworking that I was doing, the health scares I was having, it was very clear that I wasn't going to make it to a year and that had to be okay. I had to give myself that permission to let go of this thing that was so
0: unhealthy for me. Yeah. Okay. Well the the job itself, I mean, I, I know you mentioned, um, maybe I read, I read about it is that you some of your days were like 20 hours and this is all during the pandemic had already started right so it's what like 2020 or so um yes is this all work from home that you were doing or were you have to, having to go in person
1: no i was pretty much going into an office every day for that role it was a pretty small corporate office and mm-hmm. um so yes i was going into the office but with that executive mba program it was like i was going well I was working a little bit in the morning, then I was going into the office, then I was coming home and doing schoolwork, and then at times wrapping Mm -hmm. up loose ends from the job. So that's where I was hitting that 20 hours. It was between Mm -hmm. both the CMO role and the grad school program, but very unsustainable altogether. It wasn't every single day, 20 hours, but I just had really gotten into this survival mode of my legs are moving and I can't even stop, even if I wanted to. It was like I my identity was so wrapped up in this version of me who could always produce and add value and just was always that good corporate soldier. It was so hard to disentangle from that and even admit, you know, I need rest. I need a break. I'm a normal human. And that's why my body really had to be the the communication vehicle to step in and give me that wake up call moment. So I had a couple of episodes of throwing up blood that landed me in the ER, and eventually, I mean, did, that just, did the, that just
0: come out of nowhere? Or you just you just weren't feeling well, and you started throwing up blood.
1: Yep, yeah, just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, and doctors ultimately said that it was did an endoscopy finally, not after the first time, but after the second time. And I let months go by because again, I'm thinking I'm too busy with this job and with school, and I have to have to deliver on everything. But uh, with those kind of moments, it was clear that things were not right. Mm-hmm. But even after I graduated and scaled back, that's when I got shingles in April, 2021. And that mm-hmm. was finally what got my attention because I'm sitting in the doctor's office and I'm given the diagnosis of shingles. I'm thinking that might be what it is because it's a pretty telltale looking sort of a raft that you get. And, and my symptoms were matching up from all the things I read on Dr. Google. But uh, I was overjoyed when I was told I had this diagnosis because in my warped mind state at that time, it was like, oh my gosh, I've got a socially acceptable reason to hit the pause button for 10 straight days. And Mm -hmm. I was just I felt such intense relief and gratitude to have that break. And like nobody at work could say anything. And really it wasn't, you know, it wasn't me raising my hand or raising the white flag, showing weakness. It was like, my body is giving right. out, like, look at how much I'm giving to you all that my body is even, you know, not able to keep up. It felt like kind of the epitome of martyrdom at that point, but it was just like such a, a, a boon as far as. I'm going to get to take a break. And then as soon as I realized, okay, maybe this is not a normal response to being told that I have a diagnosis that can result (laughs) in like paralysis or blindness, like people generally aren't excited about that. So it was like, okay, Sarah, like I I have so much compassion for that version of me because I was working so hard and I just wanted to make everyone happy, but I'm so proud of that woman who could look in the mirror and say like we're gonna have to do something differently and that's when I really hit the life reset button
0: so what does the shingles have anything to do with the hard work you're putting in or is that just you feel like your, your immune system was low because you were just not getting enough sleep and you were working too hard I think it was it was
1: really born out of that overworking because to your point the your immune system is suppressed I you know I'm not getting enough sleep enough rest yeah. I'm not taking care of myself and I'm just stressed out that's really uh, what shingles comes down to because that's your nervous system I had yeah. extremely frayed nerves at that time and so I think this was just my nervous system's way of like no more mm-hmm. can't do it
0: So okay but regardless of what caused it your reaction was really important because your reaction told yes. you something is very wrong in my life if i'm excited to get shingles like there's yes, exactly. something is not connecting properly here so what did yep. you decide to do at that point well so that was really the
1: moment that i flipped everything upside down i ended up quitting that job on the last day that i had off from shingles mm-hmm. and then i i gave my two weeks notice Took off a couple of weeks in between another job when I moved uh, down to Florida, for which I moved down to Florida. During that time, I also went to Peru to like explore holistic healing modalities and reset Mm -hmm. my nervous system. I moved down here. I find a tiny little place on the water, and I'm prioritizing my Mm -hmm. well-being, cutting back on hours. I'm doing yoga. I'm meditating. I'm doing all the things they tell you to do to heal burnout. But I'm here, and as much as things are getting better, and that's the story that I shared in the Wall Street Journal, they Mm -hmm. actually picked up my story during that time. It was actually right around this time last year that I connected with them. When you hear my story, it's like, oh, Sarah was, yes, the poster girl for pandemic burnout, but she found peace and a slower pace of life on the water in Florida after leaving the hustle and bustle of Atlanta in the C-suite. And all of that was correct in that I really had gotten a handle around the balance part of work life. But what I wasn't figuring out was like, why am I still so irritable? And why am I struggling to go into work every day? And it's like, it's such a funny thing when you look back with hindsight and you're like, no, it's no wonder that I was feeling like that because I was dealing with the sexual harassment situation that wasn't properly addressed for months. But that's what I didn't understand is that burnout is not just the number of hours you're putting in. It's cultures and walking into toxic situations. And for me, that scenario where I'm wondering, is something going to be done? Is my voice going to be heard? HR even overheard one of the comments too, and didn't do anything. It's like no wonder that's a that's a paper cut on my daily on my nascently yeah. healing burnout wound. So it was. Um, I ended up leaving that job, and that's what inspired me to found Raised to Horizon to begin speaking with other women because it it was like I can't be the only other woman who's experiencing this. I know so many women are making moves during the Great Resignation. What are their stories? What's leading them to quit? And what's keeping us mired in these spin cycles of burnout? Is it, you know, are we moving from one toxic culture to another? And so it's been just such an incredible exploration to find out that, no, I am definitely not alone in this.
0: Yeah. Okay. So tell us about Raise to Rise. You just, did you decide to begin interviewing women that you were meeting um, online? How did you find the women to talk to? well i started
1: so really the yeah. the genesis of this was conversations that i started having after my story went public from the wall street journal because i was amazed by the number of people who were reaching out not just people i knew but even strangers who found me through linkedin especially reaching out to talk about these things and i just Realized with this this kind of appetite to have these conversations about private struggles, really told me that there was something here that we needed to talk about, not just in DMs and private conversations, but more broadly. Because unless we elevate the conversation in a very non judgmental, destigmatized way, we're still going to all feel nervous about talking about these things out loud. So. It was born out of that. And that's when I started having some of the conversations with women. I probably talked with about 70 women at that time. And then since uh, officially starting Race to Rise, I've spoken with about, I guess at this point, almost another 80 women. And mm-hmm. it's not just been women of the great resignation. It's also been women who want to quit who reached out to me, which I was really surprised by. They, I put out a call for stories on LinkedIn, and I had mm-hmm. in that first prompt almost an equal number of women who felt stuck yeah. actually reaching out and wanting to share their stories too, which I thought was really, it was surprising, but not entirely when you look at the numbers, the found that in a, in a survey they did earlier this year, that more than 50% of women intend to quit their jobs in just the next two years. So it's not really a surprise that I was hearing from all of these women who were dissatisfied too. So then I'm looking at it like, okay, here's the lay of the land right now, but what about women who've made bold career moves prior to the Great Resignation? Because when you have a bit more time between that uh, that sort of walking away moment, you know, lighting the match mm-hmm. to whatever it is, and you're on the other side of it and have the ability to look back with hindsight, I wanted to talk to those women as well. So it's just been a really beautiful exploration of women in the workplace, burnout, how we attach identity to uh, our work, worthiness, all of those things.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, let's back up for a moment. I know we've all heard the term, the great resignation. Can you talk about what that means exactly to you and to the women that you speak to? Yes. Well, the
1: Great Resignation was coined in May 2021 by a professor out of the University of Texas, and what he was referring to is this influx of workers either leaving the workforce entirely or or quitting jobs, essentially, so either leaving the workforce entirely. Some have started entrepreneurial ventures, and then, of course, we have folks who are moving from one corporate job or one employer to another. But what they saw from really April 2021 on, and he coined that in May 2021, and it since has held strong, is that we're seeing an increased quit rate across the economy. And so it's been, it peaked at like 2.9% in, I believe it was April of this year, and over 4 million people on a monthly basis who are quitting their jobs, which these are numbers that we hadn't really seen at all pre-pandemic. And it's indicative of not only you know, a lot of people burning out because we've heard tons about that during the this time in this post-pandemic world as people were navigating all of the pressure of this, this uncertain collective trauma that we're experiencing mm-hmm. and then trying to keep the wheels turning, but also this right-sizing of work in our lives and reprioritization Whereas pre-pandemic we were so go 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 on the hamster wheel that we hardly ever or really didn't have the space and time to lift our noses from the grindstone and mm-hmm. look up and and look at what we were doing work wise and the rules of work in our society. You know, for example, like everybody has to go into an office every single day of the week. Period. Like that was kind of an accepted norm mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, but. This pause really gave us an opportunity to not only ask questions about the ways in which we work, but like personal questions. Is this what I want? Does this company match with my values? Am I happy with this work? Is this the right lifestyle and balance for me with where I am in my season of life? So it's just been this really potent time of collective awakening and questioning that I don't think we've done before that I just think is
0: really incredible and shifting the way we work moving forward. So here's what I would like to, to understand because I you you mentioned um well we mentioned in your intro because you had mentioned it um in some of your writings about hustle culture and how you said you were a former hustle culture devotee. Oh, yes, I know when when the pandemic started, especially toward the beginning, we were expected and um you know I have my own company but I work with lots of people um in in various organizations and companies and it just sort of became expected that you are going to work around the clock like because we were working from home um you know there was there were no weekends anymore there was no nighttime anymore and I noticed this this really strongly especially in the first part of the pandemic and I'm just wondering um you know is that is is did that lead to people realizing that the burnout was actually a problem or was it just from sitting home and some people had like more free time because their work was closed
1: You know, I think it's more of the former, Emily. I think, and this was my personal experience too, so it's a little bit of me search, but I've also heard from what experts who are really in the trenches related to organizational psychology have been saying about this, but that we... We were working like crazy when we still had jobs too. So I was frightened because people were being laid off at my first organization mm-hmm. before. I actually became a CMO in July, 2020. I was in a different organization before that. And out of my team of nine, there seven of the, us were furloughed. So it was just me and my boss who mm-hmm. were kept on. And so that really actually started me yes. in that overworking loop that became almost intoxicating and like difficult to break. Yeah, Um, because it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm still I'm so fortunate to still have a job. I'm going to keep working. There's so much economic uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I think that fueled a lot of it. And we know, too, that when we're we're fearful as humans and the world around us is out of our control, we will often turn to those things that are comfortable comfortable or familiar to us. And for I think for a lot of people, it was easy to distract yourselves and work and not draw Mm -hmm. as strong of boundaries because you're not going to the office anymore. You got these blurred lines. It's harder to shut off. And we just started seeing kind of the the churning of our of our economic wheel moving at a different pace
0: than ever before. So interesting. And speaking of the pandemic and how it's affected us. Can you talk a little bit about the main ways it has affected women as opposed to men? Yes. I'm so glad
1: you asked that question because that's really been a huge piece of the puzzle in what we've been talking about in these Race to Rise interviews. So Mm -hmm. if you look pre-pandemic, we know the workplace originally was designed by men for men to fit them and their needs and uh really was fitting if we if we look all the way back fitting a point in time where one person in the household worked and that was the man who went to work and the woman Mm -hmm. typically stayed home and took care of the family but then as women have come into the workforce you know we have we had equal protection come into play via the equal rights amendment of 1972 i mean that honestly was all told not that long ago. And we still are operating in the workforce in a lot of ways without considering the needs of the women who have come into play. You know, think about working moms and some working moms being at organizations and cultures that don't have places if they're nursing and having to pump, things like that. And so- Mm -hmm. For women, we know that we weren't on equal footing beforehand. You can talk about pay gap and discrimination and all of that too as part of it. Then we we have this shutdown and we see our safety nets evaporate. Childcare facilities closed, schools closing. We aren't able to see as many of our family and friends who may be helped with some of the things at home related to taking care of kids and housework and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have McKinsey and the Lean In org do an annual Women in the Workplace report, and they found that women are spending on average an additional three hours per day day in what is essentially unpaid, unrecognized labor, because this is work at home in addition to their professional responsibilities. And now more than 50% of women are saying that their health, mental health is either poor or very poor, that they're Mm -hmm. severely burnt out. And Working Moms in particular, that same report found that one in three have considered either leaving the workforce entirely or downshifting their careers. So what we're seeing is really this like knock-on effect of all of these these, these factors at play that I think like we didn't really understand that there were cracks and fissures in this system that we had built, but then the pandemic really exposed them and- yeah. It's just this perfect storm that has really been hard on women.
0: And we, so we see how affected women have been by the pandemic. And we see the great resignation with people uh, quitting. Is it mostly women who are quitting or is it both? Yes. It is men too, but women have been leading the great resignation. And this is this is part of the reason you're explaining. Because they've been, because yes. women have been yes. more affected. by Exactly. Pandemic. Exactly. Absolutely. Now we 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 got into this a little bit but you've said that the great resignation is representative of a larger movement and that is all about the shift in how women are approaching their careers in general do you so are you do you see this as a positive thing in any way i do i absolutely do i
1: think this is really a silver lining born out of what was a, a very difficult traumatic mm-hmm. time for the globe collectively. I think this is actually a an important shift that was rumbling pre-pandemic. But with everything that happened and changed, it's like it was an accelerator or an accelerant poured on yeah. this, this beginning to crackle fire that said, you know, people are starting to think, I don't want my entire life to be my career. Like internalized capitalism and hustle culture are very real. Those pressures are, uh, we're running very deep pre-pandemic. And then I think we saw on the other side, like that's not everything. People, the people I love could be gone tomorrow. I could be gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Why am I putting work at the very top of my list and what's most important to me?
0: Okay, so let's, let's talk about what we can do as women. So for ourselves, like if, if, if I'm sure you, when you speak to a lot of women about their experiences, I'm sure you're all, are you ever giving them, I don't want to assume, but are you giving them advice as well on how, what they can do to take those steps for themselves? Sometimes I'll say for the most part, I've tried to wear my
1: journalism hat and okay. <laughs> if anything, have more kind of like commentary type discussions, but uh-huh. I think it has been really interesting though, to your point, to share the things that I have learned from other women. Certainly I can share yeah. from my experience, but the the power in all of this is that there is so much amazing wisdom and insight that we all have as women navigating this world of work and balancing personal and professional and, and uh, trying to manage these expectations of quote unquote, having it all so I've definitely been finding that the most important impacts coming out of this is not just the story story sharing, but helping other women feel inspired to make changes that to their, the way they approach work and reinvent their careers if need be, so that they can have a much better quality of life.
0: So Raise to Rise is all about telling, sharing those stories, telling the stories. Um, and also, is it also about giving people tools to learn how to do this for themselves in some ways? Yes.
1: Well, so where I have really nutted out in all of this work is that Race to has been so powerful. I am working on a book. Mm -hmm. um, And so what will be a part of that book is actually, it's like a toolkit related to how we more consciously architect our careers moving forward how we make bolder okay. moves that are more aligned with us as women authentically who we are with our strengths that we've had to cut off at times to show up in workplaces that are more uh that are built and catered to men and so that's really going to be the output from this is essentially rewriting the women's career playbook i deeply believe that you know the the things that we have been taught conventional wisdom wise around how to approach our careers you know if you think back to the way women and men were both taught so that's like the linear path you're in your teens you're supposed to be able to figure out what you're going to do for the next 40 years of your career as you're deciding like i'm going to do go to college do this major or you know, you're supposed to just like have these things figured out before even your prefrontal cortex is fully developed, like the executive function, personality and behavior part of your brain, right? It's madness. Like Mm -hmm. it's when you talk about it like that, it's sheer madness. And so I just love this idea that we're moving away from the expectation that it's linear. Our careers have to be this one thing, like we can reinvent and change based on different seasons of life you're hearing more about portfolio careers people doing lots of different things and having Mm -hmm. different income streams you're hearing about career agility and that's taking your transferable skills from one industry or function into others and I just love that we're looking at this from a, a much more flexible standpoint and creating careers that are based on our own personal definition of success versus the old way, which is like, if honest, if we're honest about it, it's like a very masculine approach of like uh, linear, just climb, better paychecks, bigger titles, kind of all of that. I think for, for women, what's really important is that we're coming back to ourselves and we're rewriting that playbook and reclaiming parts of ourselves that were lost and together linking arms to Pave
0: a better way forward for women in our careers. So, you for yourself, you took your, you went back to your journalism roots, and that was your original plan when you first started studying. So, but what about women whose roots are more in, like, say, a male populated field like construction, um, finance? I, there are so many different ones, but say, say they're in something like that, but they do want to exercise some of the strategies and tips that. Um, you've developed and learned about through talking to all of these women? It does Can it apply to them as well? Sure. Absolutely. A hundred
1: percent. I believe that this works for any woman across the board, regardless in what type of industry you work in, because at the heart of it, this is what I think we haven't been taught to is that we've been taught a very external looking or an external paradigm as far as how to approach our careers, which is like, What As we were kind of talking about with me not wanting to leave my CMO role after less than a year, that's a very sort of external approach that says, oh, you have to make this type of decision so your resume looks a certain way, and you're supposed to have the proper upward progression in all of the jobs that you have, Mm -hmm. and you've got to have a career trajectory and arc that makes sense when you tell this story, Mm -hmm. but really what we should be doing is Doing the inner work related to what are our values, what do we like doing that fulfills us, what are our strengths, what do we intuitively know is the right fit for us in our careers, because I deeply believe every woman knows. It's just that sometimes we don't know how to listen to that part of ourselves because there's so many shoulds around uh, you know the way we grew up as women and conditioning like being a being a good girl, following the rules, being obedient, I certainly bought into that for a very, very long time. But then mm-hmm. if you look at as we get older and we get into the workforce, it's there's so many things that we're told of what it looks like to be a professional woman. And so like for example, the hashtag girl boss, which was a, cornerstone of hustle culture. Now that's finally been declared as kind of dead a few times over, but there were all these messages that we got as far as what a woman's career should look like. And to me, it's about tuning all of that out, sloughing off like old beliefs that you may have picked up that really don't serve you. And you don't really actually believe in them. It's just things you were told Mm -hmm. and coming back to yourself to make decisions moving forward.
0: So, Is it always about leaving your job or can it also be about finding new ways to find fulfillment and more peace within your current job? Yes,
1: beautiful. I love that question, Emily. And thank you for that because I think sometimes I, this work gets lumped into you know, Sarah's saying like every woman should just walk out tomorrow. And <laughs> you also hear too, there's so many people who are just like, quit and you're going to start a six figure business next month. Like, that's <laughs> not what any of this is about. It yeah. really is that every woman has a, a different path that is right for her. And sometimes that does mean staying in an organization where you are feeling discomfort because what I love is that. Our bodies, our emotions—we are—they're brilliantly attuned to our environments and giving us little nudges in the direction of things we should be paying attention to. So, I'll give you an example. Sometimes we may be really anxious about a situation at work, but it's not that we are intended to just, you know, up and leave tomorrow. It's pointing us in the direction of a conflict that needs to be mm-hmm. resolved. A need that we need to express and have a conversation with our boss or a coworker or whatever it might be. So it's there's a discernment that comes with that and being able to say, okay, is this discomfort that I'm feeling and I'm sitting with it? Is this really, truly a leaping moment where I'm going to need to walk away? Or is this pointing me in another direction for a lesson to be learned, growth to be achieved here in this role, because there's something else for me to do here. So I love that question, thank you for that.
0: Yeah, and do, do you think by staying, cause I know a lot of the advice is to leave, um, but do you think that by staying within these organizations and there are more, more women there are that are who are staying and who are implementing change within their organizations will, could help improve the organizations themselves? I definitely
1: think so. What I believe is needed is more of a groundswell of women, who are of this mindset that we are here to work on these organizations and help them become better. Now, of course, not to our own detriment, because I I want to say that as like a really important call out here, because Mm -hmm. martyrdom has been seen as very noble and, and lauded, honestly, in the workplace. Like if you're sacrificing yourself for work, that for a very long time was seen as a virtuous sort of an effort. So not to your own detriment. Sometimes we do with certain organizations and that's where I got to with my last company. I waited months. I tried to give them ample opportunity to address this situation, but it, it wasn't happening. And sometimes we do have to come to that place of acceptance of like, this is something I'm not going to be able to change. And it's detrimental to my health to stay here and fight this fight. And that's okay. There is nothing wrong with, with protecting yourself and making that decision. But I love what you called out in that if you have a number of women in an organization who can rally together and work to change things, that's amazing power yeah. right there too. So it's, again, it's 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 great area, right? Like there's no hard and fast rule of what you should do in any situation. You really feel into it, into your body to figure out, is this a, a leaving moment yeah. or is this a standing up for something else moment?
0: Well- we are so glad that you found it within yourself. You found the strength within yourself. You were able to heal. We're glad you're feeling better. Um, and we're not glad it happened to you, but we're glad that we're we're grateful now that you've done all of this work on this issue and you've interviewed all these women. And now we're really looking forward to your book to come out so that we can learn more about it. Um, some of I'd love to hear you know to read about some of the themes that you've noticed and, um, where can our audience find out more about Race to Rise? And and when do you think your book is coming out? Yes.
1: com is the website. And then you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram at Sarah J. McElroy on both of those platforms. I love connecting with anyone in the space and hearing your stories. And I'm still collecting stories. Now, the book, actually, I just landed an agent about a month ago. So you're okay. probably not going to see it on shelves for, I guess, a year and a half to two years. But I'm so thrilled and feel so honored. These stories are amazing. And I just, I can't thank the women enough who are a part of this movement. I know that we are changing things for the better by bringing
0: forth this body of work. Sarah McElroy is a journalist and the founder of the Raise to Rise Project, a movement aimed at amplifying the powerful voices of women from the great resignation. Well, Sarah, this has been some really enlightening food for thought and we thank you for your work and thank you so much for joining us on the hazard girls podcast today thank you emily wonderful to be here you have been listening to the hazard girls podcast on jacket media sponsored by juno jones the stylish safety boot company that's juno and you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the hazard girls community i'm your host emily Solaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.